title slide shows you, the title of this series through Hebrews has been titled Drawing Near, and it's been a while since we've talked about that, and, but the real idea or the main idea of Hebrews that the, the writer of Hebrews has been doing is he's trying to encourage his readers to draw near to God, and we saw that as we draw near to God as individuals, there's a collective drawing near that happens as well, so the first half of the book or so, he's... He's presenting the idea of how we draw near to God through the blood of Christ, and then he will call us to action as a people to draw near to one another to help us continue to live a life near God and in intimacy with him. So as I was thinking about today, uh, this morning, preparing for this morning, what is it that hinders you from drawing near to God? Now, we kind of think structurally of a building and coming in here and drawing near to God in the, the worship service, and, and that's a blessing to, to have those reminders of drawing near to God, and it kind of creates a sense of holiness that reminds us of the holiness of God. But I'm not just referring to coming in through the doors of this building. In addition to that, it's, it's just throughout the week. When you think of your intimacy with the Lord and that waning that happens and your, that, that constant striving to draw back into intimacy with the Lord, what is it that hinders your enjoyment of intimacy with the Holy God? There are two things that kind of came to my mind, especially as I'm picturing the things that the writer of Hebrews is leading us to think about, an object lesson, if you will, very physical objects of the tabernacle structure today. But as I picture coming into the Holy of Holies, uh, that he talks about, if I'm thinking physically, I picture me holding an idol. I mean, imagine holding an engraved image of something. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the Heisman Trophy because I'm worshiping sports. Or maybe it's, it's an image of a person that, that I'm, I just love holding a grudge against them, that, that I just refuse to let go of the idol of resentment or anger towards that person. Or maybe it's... it's uh, it's body self-image, or, or maybe it's uh, entertainment or leisure. Whatever it is, imagine trying to imagine going into the Holy of Holies that we're about to study, this holy place, holding a graven image. I am not going in there holding that. And so one thing that keeps us from intimacy with God and enjoying the, the, the holiness and the, the fulfillment of being intimate with our Creator is idols, idols of our heart, idols that we, anything that we exalt as more wonderful, more glorious, more worthy than God. But even more so, where the author goes today is maybe some of us are afraid to enjoy intimacy with God because we have a guilty conscience. We have a guilty conscience. The writer of the Psalms oftentimes speaks about this feeling of a guilty conscience. Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God. These are the words of the psalmist as he comes to the presence of God. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgressions. I know my sin is ever before me. 
Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge me. The psalmist is saying, look, I know I'm guilty and I I don't deserve to be in this holy place. I don't deserve to have that intimacy with you, God. I'm guilty. When you say I'm guilty, you're right. My sin is ever before me. How many of us have that same issue of a guilty conscience, and it will not allow us to be united with the holy God and enjoy intimacy with the holy God. I imagine there's a lot of us. And I would say some of us should have a guilty conscience because we're guilty. Others of us need to understand how Christ relates to our guilt and sin so that we can understand rightly how to approach God. And all of us, I pray today, will leave here knowing how to have our guilt and our guilty conscience cleansed and removed so that we can enjoy intimacy with a holy God. And so that's what our author is doing today in chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. He's going to tell us how we can have our guilty conscience removed how we can enjoy intimacy with the Holy God. He's going to talk about the holy place in the first several verses, and then he's going to talk about the holiness problem, and then he's going to give us a prescription for our holiness problem. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Let's look at what he, how he describes this holy place, and his description of this holy place is lifting up before our eyes the holiness of God as we approach him. He says, now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. And so he's going to handle those two matters in this text. He's going to first talk about the sanctuary and then the regulations. First of all, the sanctuary, verse 2, for there was a tabernacle prepared. The outer one in which there were lampstands, a lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. Having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden jar holding manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak in detail. So though the author does not go into great detail about it, he does share enough for us to get a sense of the holiness of this place. And that's what he's doing on purpose. As he's been doing all along in Hebrews, he's taking all that was in the old covenant. Remember what he said last week? He said all of that was a shadow It wasn't the actual reality. It was a shadow of the reality of Jesus Christ, who is the reality. That all the priesthood are a picture of Jesus, the high priest. Their sacrifices are a picture of Jesus, who is the sacrifice. The tabernacle is the picture of Jesus, who is the dwelling of the glory of God. And so he continues to do the same thing today. But now he starts with just a few details. And he tells us about the tabernacle structure. He's explaining to us what the old tabernacle was like. And it's a cool concept. And I sat last week with my children at the dinner table, as we do after church on lunch, at lunch, and we talked about, just pictured, I got napkins and I'm tearing them in half, and I'm saying, all right, here's the outer court, here's the inner, and then here's the inner holy of holies. And they got it. It's a very helpful way of, of explaining the theology of Jesus. And that's what he's doing with us today. In this part, he's talking about the holiness of God. 
And so the tabernacle structure was the outer court was defined by a fence-like structure of tents. And there was one entrance into this, tent, this holy structure, the, the outer courtyard. There was one gate, one entrance, one way. You hear the words of Jesus all over the place. You know, there is only one way. I am the gate. And so there's only one way in. And inside was originally the courtyard. In the courtyard, you had a, a, a place for washings and you had an altar where there was a fire. And then inside of that, you had the holy place. And inside the holy place, you had a veil that separated it from the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so he's going to work through those areas to help us understand how, what Christ, the significance of Christ is theologically for us. So let's talk about the courtyard. First of all, in the courtyard, the common member of the community of the worshipers could come into the courtyard. It was open to anyone. And if you've ever seen pictures of outside the courtyard, there was, their tents were all set up as camps around the tabernacle. And the first layer was the priesthood of Levites were outside the tent to protect the people from, the, from improperly entering into the, the holy place. And then beyond that were all the different tribes of Israel. And if someone was living in the tri- uh, without, within the community of Israel, they were following the laws that God gave them in the Old Covenant. Don't eat this. This food is clean. This is unclean. If you eat something unclean, you are declared unclean, and you've got to get outside the camp, and you've got to deal with your uncleanliness. And they would have ceremonial processes they'd have to go through to be cleansed to come back into the covenant community. As they were living in the covenant community, if they sinned and they realized it, they had to come in through one way, through the gate, bringing an animal sacrifice. And the first thing they did when they brought the animal into the courtyard, because anyone could come into the courtyard, they would pray. They would lay hands on that animal, and they would pray that the Lord would accept the innocent blood of that animal to atone for their sin. And immediately upon praying that, they would sacrifice the animal. And so the blood was shed, and then they would hand the animal to the priest, and the priest would lay it on the altar. And the altar was a fire out in the courtyard. And so there was always, the fire was always going. The altar was never to let the fire, the fire of the altar was never to go out. And so the, the priest would, would bless the people by taking the, off, the offering that they gave, laying it on the altar, and it would atone for the sin that that person was confessing. And this happened time after time after time. And so that was a blessing for the people. The priests were able to, by God's mercy, God gave this means where the, peace, pe- the priests could serve as a blessing to the nation of Israel. And I'm saying all these things particularly because they're all going to make sense how Christ brings all this together. So that was the courtyard. It was open to, to everyone who was, who was a part of the covenant community of faith. But what about the next layer? Inside, there was this holy place. And as you can imagine, a a, a regular worshiper coming in, and as he's coming with his animal, his goat, and he sees the priests are going inside the tent that they've never been into. They've never been allowed to go in there. And I'm sure their imagination and the intrigue would just draw them to long to go into the holy place. But they couldn't because they weren't allowed to. Their way was blocked by the the separation between the two. 
But the priests went in there, the Levites, we've talked about them before. God set the firstborn from the Passover and exchanged them for the Levitical tribe and said, you will be my priests who serve in the tabernacle. Daily the priests would sacrifice a lamb. They would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and at night. And this was to cover the sins of ignorance that the people were committing. And so they would sacrifice animals morning and night, every single day. And then on the Sabbath, once a week, they would make another sacrifice on the Sabbath. And then on top of the daily sacrifices twice a day, on top of the weekly sacrifice on the Sabbath, on once a month, the first, month, first day of the month, they would offer another sacrifice. And on top of those sacrifices, when there was a feast, an annual feast, they sacrificed it associated with those feasts. And then once a year, on the Day of Atonement... They would offer a special sacrifice. But before we get to that, you see there was this sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, daily, twice a day, weekly, monthly, annually. And then every day, the, the, Levit- the Levitical priests, they would go into the holy place and they would, they would keep oil in the lamp in the lampstand lit. They would keep bread on the, on the sacred bread table. And they would... Before they would do anything else, they said, this can never go out. The presence of God is always constant. The, the sacrifices must continually be offered. And then one day, the Day of Atonement, the high priest, we talked about of the Levites, there was Aaron and his children. That's the priesthood of Aaron. The high priesthood, they would only, only the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. There's an altar of incense that was, that was always lit. And he was protected by the the cloud of smoke of the altar of incense. And he would go into this place, this most sacred place, this holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where the Ark which had within it the most amazing artifacts, evidence of the faithfulness of God, the provisions of God, the miracles of God, where he had the jar of manna. Remember, manna came from heaven and they got some in a jar. I mean, wouldn't you die to see that? Is in there. And then they had the, the, uh, the rod that Aaron threw down and said, God said, the people were going, who does he think he is telling us what to do? Not that that would ever happen here. But when the leadership was saying, here's how you go, I'm interceding. They said, who does he think he is being our intercessor? God caused his rod to bud to say, I am. I'm the one that said he's the intercessor. And then you have the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was so holy they had to have rings and a pole going through it so that people could carry it, not touch it. Because if they touched it, they died. If they tripped when they were touching it, and they t- if they were carrying it and they touched it, they died. If it was brought to cities that it wasn't supposed to be, people broke out in plagues until they dealt with it. God was serious about the Ark. It represented His holy presence. And it's inside the Holy of Holies. When I had the privilege to go to New York, uh, when I was on vacation in New York, I had the privilege to go see some of the, the, uh, the uh, sacred writings that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was an awesome exhibit. And just being there with those were just really cool. And, and just externally, it had a real holy feel. The lights were dimmed and all the displays had these little lights glowing. Man, I was like, this is awesome. Imagine going to the Holy of Holies and having the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger. In the ark. This is an amazing place. And there's nothing I can do to, to do justice to the feeling of what that's like. I mean, I think we don't have a sense of the awe, the glory of God. Now, this is a silly example, and it's funny that, that Chuck is here today because this is the closest thing I can come with it. When I was little, I grew up at Broadmoor Baptist, 
And Dr. John Sullivan had a deep voice. He was a giant man of God in my mind as a kid. In middle school, I had to go see him to talk about baptism. And I was trembling. And I walk into the office complex. And I walk back there and I see his office. And I'm just like, I don't want to go in there. Well, I go in and in the outer courtyard is the executive (laughs) secretary. And she points me into the next room past the door where the lights are dim and the couches are there. And I'm like, I don't know what goes in there, but I don't want to go in there. And I go in, and then he invites me in to the inner sanctum of his office complex. And I come in, and there he is, the light shining on his head from the lamp. The oak desk is massive. The walls are covered from floor to ceiling with books this thick, with things you don't even know what they say. And I was in there, and I had a sense of awe, and he told me about Jesus, and it was awesome. And I remember it to this day. Can you imagine the impact it had on the people standing in the courtyard, seeing them going into the holies of holies, knowing this tradition was passed on? Nobody goes in the holy of holies except for the high priest. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's all different now. You can go in to the Holy of Holies. This is revolutionary. No wonder they're having a hard time getting over this. No wonder the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to understand that place is holy, but you can go in there. Now, why were they not allowed to go into the holy place? Why did even the priests who God said they can go in, why did they have to go through consecrative washings, had to wear special linen garments, had to have a sacrifice made on him as before the high priest could even go into the Holy of Holies and, and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people? He had to sacrifice for his own sins. Why was that so complicated? Why is the way to the holy place so guarded and so protected? Why was the tabernacle structure? even built in the first place. He tells us because we have a holiness problem. And that's where he goes in the next few verses to look at the holiness problem. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, we see the holiness problem. He says, the Holy Spirit is signifying this. The way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed as long as the outer tabernacle is still standing. And then he says, this is a symbol for this present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drinks and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. So the author explains that as long as they were operating under the old covenant, they could not freely draw near to the holy presence of God because the sacrifice was insufficient to deal with their holiness problem. The fact that they could even do what little they did was a gift of the mercy of God. It was the gift of the grace of God because if you, before you even get to Leviticus, we realize God is on the mountain meeting with Moses, giving him these regulations. The people are down there with Aaron worshiping a golden calf. We got problems. They're not a holy people. But God in his mercy and grace says, I'm going to create this system not to keep you away from me, but to allow you to have some measure of enjoyment of my glory. 
And all of this is to point to and to be a shadow of Jesus who ultimately will solve the holiness problem. And so the point of the author is they had a holiness problem. Even the line of Aaron had a holiness problem. The people had a holiness problem. And though the sacrifices were being done, it did not take care of the problem. It was a temporary, insufficient substitute for their sin. It wasn't enough. And that's why the fire was to never go out. That's why the sacrifice was repeated twice a day, every week, every month, every feast, over and over and over. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do in the next few chapters. He's going to say, there was a problem. It wasn't sufficient. And because of that, the people could not freely enjoy the glory of God. But the scriptures use all this to create for us as readers a longing for the holiness of God, a desire, oh man, if I could just go in and see and behold the glory of God. But we all, we're just like everywhere we read in the scriptures, when, when the birth of Jesus is foretold, what the, when, they, when the wise men come up, what do they do? They bow. When the angels show up, what do people do? They hit their face scared to death. Why is that? It's because we know we're guilty. Whether we admit it or not, we know we're guilty. And we've got a holiness problem. And we need something to fix that problem. And so did they. And so that's the point, that there's a barrier between the people and the holiness of God. For them, it was the object lesson for us is a tent and a veil. For us, the author says, it's your guilt and your guilty conscience. And when I say guilty conscience, again, I'm not just saying psychologically we think we're guilty. It's No, we are guilty, and psychologically we know it because we are. And so we see how serious it is to enter into the presence of a holy God if we don't enter in the way that God has provided. And we see that in Leviticus 10. We see an object lesson once again. Aaron's own sons... Nadab and Abihu enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, they've been given rights to go in there as priests of Aaron, but even they, when they go in, they disobey God. It's described as offering strange fire. That just means they did not offer the sacrifice the way God said, and so they came out in body bags. They died. You don't mess with the holiness of God. Unholy people cannot carelessly confront a holy God. The only just proper response for holiness is to pour out wrath on sin. And so we see we've got a problem. We have a major barrier to our enjoyment of a holy God. So what do we do? How do we enter into the presence of a holy God? If the whole point of Hebrews is draw near to God... If we understand he's a holy God, he's inviting us into the holy of holies where those two guys were priests and they died. How, how, how dare he tell us to draw near to God? That's where he gets the prescription for our holiness problem in the final verses of our text. 11 through 14, he gives the prescription to the holiness problem. He says, but when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, 
but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is the heart of the entire message of Hebrews. This is the heart of the gospel. This is probably one of the most difficult concepts for us to grasp. It's simple, but it is profound. Notice what he says. He again does what he's been doing all along. He's been saying, Jesus is it. You've had Joshua. He's the greater Joshua. You had Moses. He's the greater Moses. You had the priest. He's the great high priest. They offered sacrifices. He's the sacrifice. They went into the temple. He is the temple. He is the great high priest who is the son of God, who is sinless and blameless, the spotless lamb of God. He offered himself on the cross. He spilled his blood and his body as a sacrifice that he then offered to God. He ascended into heaven and he laid his blood on the atonement, on the on the mercy seat and he said God accept this sacrifice this innocent blood on behalf of these sinful wicked people and then he sat down at the right hand of the father and he's continually interceding on our behalf remember he's the priest of the order of Melchizedek the eternal priesthood he's greater than the priesthood of Aaron he's eternal so he intercedes eternally so his redemption is eternally his blood sacrifice is perfect so he saves completely perfect perfectly eternally he is the ultimate destination of everything we read about in the scriptures and so when we come to the altar, we come not pleading our regulating, our, cer- our, our uh, ceremonial cleansing. We don't plead our religious activity. We don't say, I fed people at the rescue mission this weekend. We don't say, I gave money in the offering plate. We don't say, I attended worship all during the Christmas season. We don't have anything to offer in and of ourselves. The only hope we have to approach the holy of holies is to say, I'm taking you at your word, God. You said that you will cover my sin with the perfect blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's no other sacrifice that works. And now that we've established that, if you've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, get over yourself. In two ways. Lay down your idols and lay down your guilt and your shame because both of them are keeping you from your service as a holy priest. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, not only are you able to go in, but you're no longer just some common worshiper. You're that holy high priest who gets to go in and now you're a servant. And just like he went in and came back and offered blessings to the nation, you go in and you come out and offer blessing to the nations. We extend the grace and the mercy of God to the nations. We intercede between God and the nations. We tell our friends, our family, our co-workers, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse your conscience because they know they're guilty. All of us are without excuse. We all know just from creation, we're guilty. And we're longing for something to fix our guilt problem. 
And when you trust in Christ, you become the priest. You become the intercessor, and you're a holy priest to intercede on behalf of the nations. Now start acting like a priest. That's what he's saying. He's saying, come on in. Draw near to God. I can't. I'm holding this idol. Well, then put it on the altar fire and burn that sucker to the ground. And take the ashes and do like that. Take it outside the camp and put it in the incinerating heap. Take it out there. Get rid of that sucker completely. Because do you realize what that looks like compared to the real deal? There is no joy apart from the one true God. The pleasure you get out of those secret sins are nothing compared to the one true God. The joy and the the sense of power that you get from holding a grudge against someone is nothing compared to the freedom that you find in forgiveness that you know from Christ. Everything good in this life, even the, the good things that we pervert into idols, whatever you're getting out of that idol, whatever joy, whatever pleasure, whatever satisfaction, whatever it is, it was meant to point you to the great high priest who gives you ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate happiness. Lay the idol on the altar and burn it to the ground. Or maybe you have an identity problem and you don't really believe if you're in Christ, you don't really believe he's made you a holy priest. It's just like, there's just no way. What do you mean, holy priest? Do you know what I did this week? I don't, but he does. And he's covered it eternally. By the blood of Christ. I don't. He does. He's covered it eternally by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, some people are saying, now that just, that's ridiculous. Don't I have to work it off? Don't I have to do something? Don't I? I would, I think a lot of us would rather have a goat bring it up here and slit its neck and say, okay, I did something. Done. Because it's hard for us to grasp the glory of the gospel. I wrestle with it daily. Really? Really? You see me as holy and righteous? That's the gospel message. And the extravagant grace of God, the the amazement that we should have over that truth that he covers us eternally, forever, undeservedly, is the motivating fuel of our lives in service of holiness. That's why we fight sin. Remember, last week we said that the new covenant brings inward transformation by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to happily abuse the gospel of grace. If you hear this message that you have already been cleansed eternally and you go, good, sin all the more, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not allow you to abuse the gospel of grace. When you hear, I am forgiven because of, my, because of Christ and that sin is not held against me, the Holy Spirit within me says, so I will wage war against that sin. I will lay that on the altar and burn it to the ground. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. That's the message of Hebrews. That's the message of your Bible. That's the message of Christmas. That's what Jesus is all about. And we need each other to help each other believe that. So we go into community group. Dude, I am covered with guilt. And our friends, no, you're not. Turn to Christ. He loves you. He accepts you. He does not hold. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But you need to fight that sin. And I'm here to help you. That's 
when we start serving. He says, you are cleansed, your conscience are cleansed so that you can serve God. You can't perform your priestly function of interceding between God and the nations if you're hung up with your idols and your guilt. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you've got a job to do. You've got to go be the holy priest that Christ has made you. So you need to understand, you can come to the Holy of Holies. You can have intimacy with God because he has covered your sins eternally if you trust only in the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the question today. Have you trusted only in the blood of Jesus Christ? What are you banking on as you dare approach the Holy of Holies? If it's your good deeds, come on, really? You know that doesn't work. You know you're guilty. We all do. If it's religion, that has some outward trappings of some holiness, but that doesn't do it. I mean, look at the religious system they had, and it was insufficient. You haven't sacrificed a goat every day of your life. You can't do enough. All of those blessings were to point you to trust only in the blood of Jesus Christ. And once you trust in Christ, he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So we can be our holy priesthood. The old covenant produced a kingdom with priests. Jesus came as mediator of the new covenant, and he produces a kingdom of priests. All who trust in Christ are holy priests. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we praise you. And I pray today, Lord, that we are reminded through your word of the amazing gospel that says that Jesus, the very tabernacle of God, the the dwelling place of the glory of God, took on flesh, was born in a manger, lived the perfect life, And then on the Passover day, the day that they would all be thinking about the sacrifice of the blood for their sins, he died on the cross for our sins. And for those of us who trust in the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, and we are transformed into holy priests despite our good works, despite our religious efforts. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here today sees the only hope of being cleansed is by trusting in Jesus. And for those who have never trusted in Jesus, that after the service, they will come and they will talk to me and they will do business with the Lord and I will answer questions and I will guide them through the understanding of how to trust Christ, just trusting in his blood and what that means to to live as priests. Lord, let this be a great time of faith in this room. And Lord, those who have trusted Christ and are your priests, but they're not serving because they're hung up on some idols or they're hung up on some shame and guilt, Lord. 
I pray that they'll properly understand how the blood of Christ redeems them. How Paul said in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that the amazement of that grace will move them to take those idols and burn them. And to take that shame and that guilt and to burn them. And to view themselves the way you view them. That we'll view ourselves the way you view us. As hard as it is to imagine that as holy priests. So we can then go intercede for the nations. Give them access to the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus Christ.